You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Good evening, everyone. I have a 12-year-old nephew whose name is Caden, and I've known him, well, he's Adrian's sister's son, so I didn't know him from when he was a baby, but I've known Adrian a long time now, like over 10 years. So I first met my nephew, Caden, when he was a little over one one year old. And uh, when I first met him back then, what I, I remember... He wasn't able to walk yet. Uh, he was a year old and, and he wasn't able to walk. And it was actually quite a while before he learned that. He was probably two or three before he learned how to walk. And they, his parents, Adrian's sister and her husband, started to notice from a young age that he wasn't developing like they, they thought. That they, the first thing they really noticed was that he wouldn't make eye contact. Uh, like babies do. And then, you know, through a lot of tears, a lot of hospital visits, a lot of things, uh, it took a long time and they were able to diagnose him with leukodystrophy is, uh, what he suffers from. And now he's 12 years old. He's in, sometimes he's, he's in a wheelchair because he can't support himself anymore. He doesn't have the strength. He hasn't been able to talk. He, at one point, could say mom and dad, but leukodystrophy is a regressive disease, and he's lost that. He's never really been able to, to fully verbalize himself. And some, some days things, some days times are better. Sometimes things aren't, you know, everyone's worried about where things are. And in these times, you know, when, when there's situations like that, the, the question is usually Why? Like, why are things this way? And not just that, but in all the trials and sufferings in life, the question is, why? And everybody, you or someone you love, is going through some sort of suffering. Maybe it's a divorce and a family splitting apart and arguing about who gets who, where kids go, and all the fallout from that. Maybe your kids or kids that you know and love are turning to drugs and being rebellious and not listening, and why are they doing this? Maybe someone you love has died, and why did that happen? Why did they die? Maybe someone, you or someone you love being abused physically, verbally, sexually, and why does things like this happen? And maybe you or someone you love is sick and it's just a slow process and it's hospitals, doctor visits, and it's pain and suffering. And why is the question we ask for those things? Or you or someone you love is just in pain, physical pain, emotional pain. And why? We usually ask the question, why? And the bad news is, is that I'm sorry. The, the Bible doesn't really give us an answer to why. Not I mean, it gives some, you know, as a result of sin, and we can read between the lines, but it doesn't directly answer why do we suffer the way we do. Why do these things, why do good things happen, or bad things happen to good people? The Bible doesn't really answer that question for us. And even if you knew the answer to why, a lot of times I don't think that would help. But the question the Bible does answer is, who? Who is God? The other question the Bible answers is, what is God going to do about it? And and why is not always the right question to ask, although it's a natural question to ask. But who is God and what is God going to do about these things is what makes Him worthy of our worship. 
And that's the idea we're looking at tonight in Romans, the suffering going on, the hardships in life. But who is God in that, and what is He going to do about it? Those are the questions we're going to look at. And we're in Romans chapter 8, and this is one of the most beloved chapters in the whole Bible, and one of the most beloved books in the whole Bible. It's going to take about four sermons to get through it, because it's so packed. I mean, really, I could go into more detail into Romans 8. But the context here, this is the third sermon in Romans 8. The first part says how we live according to the flesh, and we do not please God that way, and we cannot please God living according to the flesh. But then God Himself comes to the earth to pay the penalty for our sin and defeat sin, so that we can now live according to the Spirit if the Spirit lives in us. And then it keeps building from there. So we saw a couple weeks ago, there wasn't service last week, uh, a couple weeks ago how because of that, because the Spirit lives within us, we are have an inheritance from God. We are co-heirs with Christ. And our inheritance is a guarantee because we're children of God and nothing can take that away. And our inheritance is eternal life and an end to suffering. And this week, in chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, it continues to build on our inheritance. What do we inherit? What is our eternal life? How is God, what is He going to do about our suffering because we're His children? And that's the big idea tonight. And really, verse 18, let's read that real quick. That kind of guides us for what we're going to look at with suffering and what to do, what God is doing. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And this is Paul the Apostle talking through the Holy, or the Holy Spirit is talking through him. That God writing these words through Paul, saying the sufferings of this time, they're not even worthy to compare to the glory that's going to be revealed in us and to us, it says in some translations. Now this isn't, this can be really trite, I think, when people are in the midst of suffering and everything is closing in and it's why, why, why. It can be really, yeah, like I said, trite to say, you know what, it's not even worth comparing to the glory, especially coming like someone like me, things are going well in my life right now by the grace of God. And if you're going through the hardest struggles and I just say, you know what, it's not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. That's one thing, but remember this is Paul. And he has been imprisoned and beaten and shipwrecked and on the verge of death and his friends have died. Fellow Christians have been murdered for their faith. And he's saying through all of this, all the trials are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. So he's going through the hard times. He's not some guy like me just saying, hey man, don't even compare it to what's going to happen. He's going through the trials. And that's what he's saying. And in Second Corinthians, it says kind of the same thing. Our light affliction. He calls all those things light affliction. If you study the life of Paul, what he went through. Which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He calls the trials light and for a time. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. Now, word consider is not just his opinion, he's saying. It's the Greek word where you get the word logic. And it's like an accounting term. And all the evidence has been weighed and it's all been added up. And this is his conclusion after looking at everything. That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So with that in mind, again, to now we're looking at what is God going to do about these sufferings, but more importantly, this isn't, well, not more importantly, but more what we're focusing on more tonight is this is in the sanctification section of Romans. And that means these are the things we do after being declared innocent by God, after being pardoned of all of our sins. Sanctification is our walk with Jesus. And it refers to our glorification, what happens to us when Jesus returns. And we'll look at that a little bit. But what he's more telling us to do is, what do we do in the meantime? And what do we do while every, you know, while there's suffering and pain that we're experiencing in our loved ones? And yeah, in the future, Jesus will return and we'll be in God's kingdom. But what do we do while we're waiting? And it's waiting that's the hard part. 
because the theologians describe this as uh, God's kingdom is already because God has already come to the earth as Jesus to live a sinless life, to pay the sacrifice for our sins. So the kingdom of God is already here, but it's not yet inaugurated. So already not yet. And we're waiting for that. We're waiting for God's kingdom where the glory will be revealed to us. And so tonight, it's what do we do while we're waiting for that? And so the big idea is because the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be considered with the glory which shall be revealed in us, we eagerly wait for the redemption of our body with perseverance. So what do we do while we are waiting for God's glory to be revealed, for us to be glorified, for us to receive our glorification? So what do we do? First, what it says in these verses is we groan. We groan. This is a big encouragement. So let's read uh, verses 19 through 25. While we wait. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance." We are now in the midst of suffering, and that's clear. And we're waiting for God's kingdom to be fully inaugurated, to be fully here, for Jesus to return, for us to be glorified. We'll get into that more later, what that means. But this is a big encouragement. One thing we do while we wait is we groan. It says here, we groan, because what it says in verse 26, we'll get to, that God himself is groaning. And this isn't whining, it's groaning, it's there's something wrong with this world and we know and it's the result of our sin is that we're rebellious to God and we groan while we wait because of the injustice in the world because of the suffering because of the pain we can groan it's okay to groan it's okay to look at the way the world is and be frustrated by it and long for God's kingdom that's where we pray for God's kingdom to come because we long for it and we groan We should not feel guilty for groaning. We don't need to think. We always need to be happy about everything. The Bible says to rejoice in our trials, but that doesn't mean we can't ever groan in our trials too. We can't groan about the situation that this world is in as a result of sin. I love in the book of Job, which is more to do with suffering than probably any book in the Bible. And maybe some of you are going through some of the things Job went through that Well, he lost his kids. All of his kids were dead. He lost his health. He lost everything he had. He lost all that and he was suffering. And kind of the whole book is Job groaning and asking that question, why, God, why is this happening to me? Why are you letting this happen? His friends give him a bunch of bad advice and try to help him out. But then God himself comes to answer Job. And we're probably not going to get that. It says God shows up in a whirlwind to answer Job. And God does not answer why. He says, who? He tells him who I am. He says, Job, where were you when I was creating the earth? Does the lightning strike where you tell it to? And he pointed Job not to why, but to who God is. And who God is is a God who paid the price for our sins, who who himself comes to the earth to deal with our problems and dies for our sins so we can trust him in anything because he's done that. He's not like the other false gods that doesn't do anything for us, that doesn't make the payment that we have to please Him. No, God already died for us, not because we please Him, but so that we can be forgiven and enter into glory and be in His kingdom. So God answers Job, who? He says, this is who I am. But here's the part I really like. Yeah, that's amazing. But God never rebukes Job for those like 40 chapters of Job crying and complaining and groaning. God never rebukes him for that. God just says, this is who I am. 
And it's okay to groan because God is a father. And any father wants to hear their children and wants to help them. Any good father, I should say. There's lots of bad earthly fathers. But they want to help their kids. They want their kids even to groan to them. And that's an act of faith, groaning to God. Why is it like this? It's an act of faith to do that. And God does not rebuke Job. God says, look at who I am. So why do we groan? First, this was not God's intention for creation. The world we see right now with the suffering is not what God had intended. That's why let's, uh, verses 19 through 22 again, let's look at that. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So Paul personifies creation, makes creation into like a person. I mean, it's not, he's speaking figuratively. But he's saying the whole world, all of creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, which is you and me, everyone who has the Holy Spirit living within them, which we looked at earlier in Romans 8, who the ones who have the inheritance are the sons of God. And this is a position of honor in those days that women were not allowed to have an inheritance. So by calling everyone sons, we're all equal. We all receive equal inheritance. And all creation itself is waiting for that revealing because... For the creation was subject, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage, corruption, bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So this is saying our sin is much worse than we thought. The fall of Adam and Eve and their choosing to be rebellious to God affected and infected more than just humans. It created sin and more than just us the whole world was cursed after that. Hey, the whole world, all of creation felt the effects of our sin and is now cursed. It's under the curse. And as much as the creation glorifies God, as much as we can see the beauty of God, and even the Bible says we can see God's fingerprints, so to speak, in creation, it's still fallen. Hey, it's still been infected and affected by our sins and the sins of mankind. Not willingly, Subjected to futility, not willing, but this is an effect of our sin. So it goes deeper than just our suffering. It's the whole, all of creation suffers as a result of our sins. So we see this, you know, there's lots of natural disaster talks, things like that, like the thousands recently that have died in Nepal from the earthquakes. The the Yellowstone volcano has been in the news a lot lately. That You know, if that goes off, we're all dead. Uh, and Twin Falls was covered in 10 feet of ash after that. So these are all the result of our sin, of the creation being subjected to futility. And our sin is deeper than we ever imagined, but so is God's salvation. Because Jesus' payment for our sins does not just free us from the curse of sin, it's all of creation. And creation itself is waiting for God's glory to be revealed. And it's it's waiting. So we groan along with creation. Okay, Paul says creation is groaning, figuratively speaking. We groan also because we're waiting for the redemption of our body. Okay, verse 23 again says, Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Creation is groaning and we can groan. Again, this is permission to groan. Not everything has to be, you know, hey, I'm going through trial. All things work itself out for good, which we'll get to in a minute. Hey, we can groan. The Bible gives us permission to groan because right now we have the first fruits of the Spirit. This is amazing. What we have right now in the fall, still infected by sin, is just the first fruits of the Spirit. This is not what we hope for, is just this life. We have a bigger hope beyond this life. And it's not just, what we have now is the first fruits. And this is something I don't think about in, as much as I should. Uh, recently I was reading in a book about our resurrection from the dead when Jesus returns. And, you know, Jesus is the first one to resurrect and we follow when he returns. And I was just blown away. I, sometimes I don't remember that. And I think it's just this life to be concerned with. But this is not our main hope. What we have right now, as amazing as it is, to be connected with God, to have our sins forgiven, and to be able to worship Him 
without sins in our account, as amazing as that is, that's the first fruits. That's just the beginning of what we receive through the Holy Spirit. Because we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for a new body, a glorified body that doesn't feel pain, that doesn't get sick, that doesn't suffer, that's not affected by the side effects of sin. All sin, all corruption of sin is gone from it. And we get a new body. That's part of our glorification. That's our final hope in our salvation. Right now, we are still hoping we just have the first fruits. But if you are in Christ, if your sins are not on your account, that's what we hope for is glorification. When we see Jesus face to face and we worship Him with Him, and we have a glorified body not subjected to the effects of sin. So anyone who's sick and suffering and disease and physical pain, that's all gone. And what the, the Bible talks about, I love this imagery, is that our bodies right now are seeds. We're just a seed. A seed, seed isn't, you know, hey, seeds are great, nothing against seeds, but they're just seeds. And when our bodies go into the earth, it's like a seed going into the ground. And what comes up is a beautiful plant, whatever it is. Whatever comes up from the seed is much greater and much better than the original seed. And our bodies right now are seeds. And we're going to keep our bodies. We still have a physical body and we're still ourselves. But we're now bloomed, blossomed. I'm not a gardener, whatever I'm trying to say. That's our glorified body. Right now you're, you're just a seed. What you have right now is not our final hope. We're waiting for the redemption of our body. And this is what it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I love this. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, that's the body we're living in right now, this tent is destroyed, if we die in this body, we have a building from God. This tent is destroyed, and now we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. That's why we're groaning, we're waiting for that new body, for this earthly tent not to be gone, but to be added to. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And the Spirit is our guarantee. He is our first fruits. And we will add to ourselves, not getting rid of our body, it says, but added to it. Our earthly tent is gone. Now we have an eternal building, so to speak, made in the heavens, not subjected to the futility of sin. So that's another reason why we groan, is we're still waiting for that. Third reason why we groan is that we're just we're still waiting in general. So verse 24 and 25. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Again, we're suffering now, we're groaning, we are waiting. We're in the time between the times, and we're still hoping. That's what the kind of the situation we're in now. It's still hope. We have not received everything we're going to receive. And worshiping God in this life is amazing. And the things He's done in my life since I denied myself and picked up my cross and followed Him, I don't even understand how that has happened. But this is the first fruits. And even in suffering, this is the first fruits. And we're waiting because this is not the end. In fact, in 1 Corinthians it says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. And so we remember that while we're waiting in our suffering, that if this is all there is, being a Christian is the most pathetic thing you can be, the most pitiable thing you can be. Because this is, we have we deny ourselves. We deny our way of living and we give our life to God. And if we're doing that just for this life, it says we are of all men most pitiable. But Jesus' resurrection is the proof that we'll be resurrected. He's the first fruits. And Jesus' resurrection is a historical fact. There's no other explanation for what's happened with Christianity except for that Jesus resurrected. I mean, we could go into that really deeply. But Jesus' resurrection proves our resurrection, and we are still waiting for that. We are still hoping. 
So while we do that, we can groan. So when is the last time you had a good groan? We're not, we're not going to do a crazy church and all groan together, but probably something you do on your own private time is groan. Creation is subjected to futility. Sin has infected and affected everything. There is suffering and pain and death and hurt, and we can groan about it, and we can groan for the sufferings of our brothers and sisters. It's important to groan. The Bible says we can groan in our sufferings. And we groan because we're waiting for Jesus, because all this redemption of our bodies, that all happens when Jesus comes back, and he's coming back. So now when we're waiting, first we groan. Second is we pray. So verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Hey, while we wait, we pray. And this is foundational, fundamental to following Jesus because praying is how you build your relationship with God. Praying is you talking to God, your heavenly Father. And that's how we should always relate to Him. That's how God has said, when Jesus is telling His disciples to pray, He says, pray our Father. So we talk to God as our Father, as a perfect heavenly Father who wants to hear us, who wants to hear from His children. And He wants to hear you groan. He wants to hear you rejoice. He just wants to hear from you. Like maybe some of you have teenagers and they don't talk to you all that much anymore. And you would love it if they would just sit down and talk to you. And that's God. He's a father. He wants to hear from you and build a relationship with you. You cannot build a relationship without talking to somebody. So when we pray, we talk to God. When we read the Bible, he talks to us. That's primarily how God talks to people. And that's why I read the Bible and pray every day. Because that's how we build our relationship. Praying to God and reading the Bible. And the primary purpose of prayer, and I'm not like the best prayer. Sometimes you hear about the Hall of Fame prayer, prayers, and there's like grooves in the floor from how much their knees have been on the floor. Like, I'm not that guy. It's, I sometimes struggle to pray. I'm more, hey, if the Bible didn't tell us to pray, I'd probably read my Bible like just 90% of the time and hardly ever pray. But the Holy Spirit has worked on me. And one of the things that was most helpful for me to help with prayer is to understand its purpose. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is not for our will to get done in heaven. It's for God's will to get done on earth through me. And we pray for God to work through us, through the Holy Spirit. And we don't pray because God is some blessing pinata. And if we say the magic word, all these blessings will come out. That, that can be part of it. And we can definitely pray for God to uh, you know, intercede for us. But primarily the purpose of prayer is not for His will or our will to be done in heaven. It's for His will to be done on earth through us. And we pray for our will to be aligned with God's will and our hearts to be aligned with God's heart and our plans to be aligned with God's plans. And then there's no conflict because we're talking to Him and we're asking Him to work through us. And that's why we pray. And so as we're waiting, that's why we pray. So we understand the mind of God and we read the Bible and we see the way that He works so we don't hold God to false promises. And we don't hold God to the... Sometimes we believe in false promises that God never promised. And we think if He's not doing whatever we think He should be doing in our mind, that He's not real. It's so important to for you to read the Bible and to pray so your wills are aligned, so you're not holding God to false promises that He never promised. And when you hold God to what He does promise, like what we're reading tonight, these are promises. That always ha- that is guarantee. God's promises are always yes. And that's primarily why we pray. But if you struggle with prayer, and especially if you struggle during the hard times of life, if you struggle while you're struggling, is a lot of times the hardest time to pray. It says here that the Spirit helps us in our prayer. The Holy Spirit, who lives inside of us as Christians, He helps us to pray. He helps us to pray by making intercession for us. That's what verse 26 says. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. 
For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So this is, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. God himself is groaning and he is interceding for us. He is bringing our requests to God. I mean, primarily we pray to God the Father. We can pray to Jesus. I pray to Jesus a lot. We can pray to the Holy Spirit. Primarily it's to the Father and Jesus mediates, the Bible says. He is fully man and fully God. So he kind of stands, you know, to understand both sides. And he's the only mediator, the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit intercedes. He brings our requests to God with groanings that cannot be uttered, it says. When we don't know what to pray and how to pray, the Spirit helps us to pray. And even to take our groanings and make them into God's plan, into His alignment. That's what it says in the first part of verse 27, because the Spirit and the Father are of the same mind. It says, He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. And this to me is kind of like the Holy Spirit is almost like a translator. And He's taking our prayers and He knows the mind of God because they're the same God. One God in three persons. And He brings our prayers before God when we don't know what to pray for. Or even when our prayer may be out of alignment with what God's will is. Because that's second part of verse 27. He makes intercession for saints according to the will of God. And it says in 1 John 5.14, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And what this is saying is, if we ask according to God's will, He hears us. And remember, God is our Father, and He hears everything. He answers every prayer. It's not always yes, because no good father always answers yes. Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's later. But the Holy Spirit living within you ensures that your prayers are in alignment with God's will. And if your prayers are in alignment with God's will, He hears your prayers. It says in 1 John. So as Christians, God hears all of our prayers. He answers all of our prayers. That's why we can pray to Him while we're waiting, even when we don't know how. Even our groanings are prayers to God. Because it's an act of faith. So we pray while we wait. We groan while we wait. Thirdly, is we know that we'll be glorified. It's that knowledge. It's our identity. And this is so much, and especially studying through Romans, what I see over and over is Paul always goes back to look at your identity in Christ. When you're going through hard times, or you're going through struggles, it's, or when you are working on sin and sanctification, he always points us to our identity. Remember who you are. Remember that Jesus God Himself made the payment for your sins and the veil is torn and we can be in the presence of God even though we do not deserve it. And even though we are guilty of sins, the penalty has been paid. And this always goes back to our identity. And our identity here, what we'll read in 28 through 30, is amazing. Like each one of these verses could be a whole sermon on its own easily. But this is our identity. This is who we are in Christ. And so we groan, we pray, But we also know who we are and we know that we will be glorified. This is a promise. God's promises are always yes. So verses 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. When the Bible speaks of suffering and going through trials, and while we're waiting, it almost always has this qualifier on it. Something like for a time, for a little while, for now. Almost all, I didn't look up every verse that talks about suffering, but all the ones I thought of off the top of my head, it always adds that in there to remind us our suffering is just for a little while and our suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And this is our glorification. It's another guarantee of God through the Holy Spirit. And this doesn't disregard suffering, but it puts suffering in perspective. And we... 
can groan in our suffering. Like I've been saying, what the Bible's been saying this whole time. We can groan. It's okay. And the, the Bible doesn't belittle suffering. It doesn't say, you know what, just whatever. It puts it in perspective for us. When we think about all of eternity, yes, it is hard to think that. And especially when you're in the middle of those trials to try to put it in perspective. Well, that's what the Bible does for us. It says that what we suffer with now is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And it's for now. It's for a little while. And everything is easier when you know that it's going to end. When you know that this suffering, whatever it is, it's going to be over someday. If you're in Christ. We can keep it in perspective, even though it's hard. I know it's hard. I'd, I was going to say something, but I'll save it for a minute. Let's look at these verses sort of one at a time and see, see what they say. So verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And this is one of the most quoted Bible verses. Probably some of you have this on a coffee mug or a bookmark. Uh, this is one of those coffee mug verses we call. It's a beautiful verse, amazing. But it's also one of the most abused verses that I hear. This is when people are suffering and in the midst of it, quoting them this verse does not always help. What, what I, for me, I think the best verse for suffering is rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Because we can groan. And when someone is suffering and in the midst of it, it seems like everything is crashing down to tell them, you know what, it's going to be good. That's, that's spiritual abuse. Because it doesn't say everything, each thing is good. It says all things work together for good. And there's some things there's just no good out of. It's not each thing, it's all things work together. And with some things, if your kids are abused, there's nothing good about that. That incident, it's not just look at the silver lining. It's not just, you know what, God is going to use it. Yeah, it can be. But it, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. All things work together for good, not each individual thing. And some things are just suffering. Some things are just hard. And some things we won't see the good in. But the good is that we will be glorified and that those things will be taken from us. And God Himself wipes those tears out of your eyes and says there will be no more crying anymore, no more pain, no more suffering. That's the good that all things work together for. Not each individual thing. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And don't use this verse for a thing it's not intended for. Because it is a beautiful thing, but it doesn't mean each individual thing is going to be good or even have a good purpose. But all things work together for good, not for everyone. For those who love God and for those who are called according to His purpose. Because those are the ones who will be glorified. It's not for everyone. It's for those who love God. All things work together for good. Now verse 29 says, it explains this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Hey, all things work together for good for those who love God, because he picked you. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, it's because God picked you. He picked you. It says he foreknew you and he called you, it says in verse 30. God chose you to be a part of His kingdom if the Holy Spirit is living within you. And that's a work of God because in our flesh, we do not want to turn to God. We want to do what we want to do and we don't want anyone in authority over us. We don't even want there to be a God. And the Holy Spirit regenerates your heart and that's God pointing you towards Him to repent. And because He picked you, He chose you for that. You would never do that on your own. He foreknew you and He called you. And He picked you in order to be the uh, conformed to the image of His Son. Both in this life, that's our sanctification, not that we'll be like Jesus, but to walk with Him, to see Jesus and to love the things that He loves and hate the things that He hates and walk with Jesus. That's sanctification in this life, but also glorification in the next life. We will never be Jesus we don't want to get this idea that glorification means we are equal to Him. 
He is still the firstborn of all creation. He is ruler and He is Lord. And he is God's only begotten Son, His unique Son who paid the penalty for our sin. So Jesus is the firstborn, but we are conformed to His image because God picked us for that, for that glorification among many brethren. And then verse 30, Moreover, whom He predestined, the people He chose, these He also called. So at some point, the Holy Spirit enters you and tells you, I need to give up. I need to surrender. I cannot save myself. I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. So if He picked you, He calls you. And you turn to Him in repentance and trust in Jesus for your salvation. And you deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Him. And those whom He's called, He's also justified. And we looked at justification in Romans, the chapters, what, 4, 5? No, I don't remember. But earlier in Romans, it talks about justification. And that's the act of God declaring you innocent from the penalty of your sin. You are guilty of your sin, but you have no penalty on your account. Jesus paid the price for it as the perfect sacrifice, as a sinless man who is also God by his death on the cross made that payment so we could be justified those whom god predestined he also called those who he calls he justifies so if god has called you if you've turned to jesus you are justified you have no sins on your account you are forgiven and whom he justified these he also glorified this is a promise because this is an amazing like grammatical thing it's past tense glorified as past tense but it hasn't happened yet that's because it's so sure to happen it's just we're waiting for god's plan to fully unveil for jesus to return if you've been justified these he also glorified it doesn't mean it's already happened it means it's so sure that it's going to happen we can say it like that and if god has justified you he is going to glorify you glorify you is a guarantee because the holy spirit is that guarantee and that's, you know, like, you know, the main picture as well, I'll just read it. Revelation 21, I've referred to it already. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And that's our glorification. It's throughout the Bible, but that's probably the most concentrated dose of our glorification. If God has predestined you, He's called you. If He's called you, He's justified you. If He's justified you, He's glorified you. And there will be no more crying, no more tears. All things have passed away. All things have been made new. Glorified body without pain, without suffering, without death. This is our glorification. And this is our hope. And this is what we do while we're waiting for that. We groan about it because we're waiting. We pray about it and pray for that day to come and pray for God's will to work through us. And we know, we look at our identity in Christ, we know that this is going to happen. And that's why we put that as our hope while we wait. So to conclude, we're going to suffer, and that's clear. We don't understand our suffering right now. We won't. And I don't know why you suffer the way that you suffer. I don't know why the things that are happening to you are happening to you. And I don't know why my nephew Caden is suffering the way that he does and his parents. And by God's grace, I haven't, my kids are in good health. I, just, I can't imagine Adrian's sister and her husband and all they've gone through in those 12 years and all those hospital visits and all the pain they've seen him go through. I don't understand why that is. But I I understand this, that the suffering now is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. And I understand that my nephew Caden, his mom is a Christian. And in 1 Corinthians 7, it says that the children of Christians will be called holy if they can't decide for themselves. And so he is forgiven through his mom. And I know that one day that he will be in God's kingdom with 
Adrian's sister, his mom, and she'll be able to see him run for the first time ever. And she'll see him as a healthy man. And she'll be able to hear from him from the first time how much she has meant to him. And that is our future. That's what God's kingdom is about. That's our promises. That all those sufferings, all the ways we've been affected by our sin, we get to live like those things. And things we've been waiting for our whole lives to do or to hear, we'll be able to do them. Because we've been glorified. This tent is gone and we have an eternal building. And everything is is how it should be. That's the Jewish word shalom. That's peace in the Bible. When everything is complete, everything is how it should have been without sin. That's God's kingdom. That's our glorification. That is what we are waiting for. And this is what we wait for as Christians. As we wait again, we groan, we pray, and we remember our identity. And that one day we will be glorified. And we'll get to see things as they should be. We'll get to see Jesus face to face. He will wipe the tears out of our eyes. And He will hopefully, prayerfully, by God's grace, say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. And into God's eternal kingdom. This is Christians, but non-Christians, this is not for you. If there's any non-Christians listening, this is not for you. You don't receive glorification. You receive condemnation. And this is the other half of it. There's still time to repent. There's still time for to make payment, Jesus to make payment for your sins. These promises are not for you. Your promise is not glorification. It's not a body that doesn't feel pain. It's eternal suffering and torment where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die and where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are the two sides. It's not because you're a bad person. It's because you're a sinful person, unforgiven, and your sins are on your account. And God Himself paid the payment for that because He doesn't want anyone to go there. That was not made for people. That was made for Satan. And that's why He sent His Son so people wouldn't have to go there, so they can receive glorification rather than condemnation. And Satan does not rule hell. Jesus rules hell. And it says in the Bible that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And unfortunately for some people, even our loved ones, unfortunately, tragically, they will only bow their knee and confess with their mouth as they're being condemned to hell when they see that Jesus is Lord and He is ruling and reigning and now it's too late because there's one death and one judgment and it's too late. These promises are not for non-Christians, but there's still time to bow your knee now. There's still time to confess with your mouth now so that you don't do it on condemnation to hell, but you do it now while your sins can still be forgiven because God loves you enough that He sent His Son to make that payment. And He's patient enough with you that you are not dead already and you still have time. That's what the Bible says. He's patient still, waiting for you to feel that call in your heart and turn to Him so that you do not have to go there. Because some people, and this was me before I turned to Jesus, scoff and turn up their nose that God would die for our sins. Say, I don't need that. But everyone will bow and everyone will confess, but please do it before it's too late so you can enter into glorification, into rest, rather than condemnation and suffering, because there's already enough suffering. You've already suffered enough. We don't want to suffer eternally. But praise be to God, because those whom He called, He justified, and those whom He justified, He glorified. And Christians, God gets the glory for our glorification. This is a work of Jesus. This is God having mercy on us and seeing us as we are in our suffering to come Himself to solve our problems, to pay for our sins that we did not deserve. And it's not a consolation prize. We didn't deserve God to come and pay for our sins. God didn't create us to be that way. We chose it. And God pays for it. So Christians, God gets the glory for your glorification. And remember that. And remember, groan, pray, know who you are in Jesus, in Christ, 
that one day this will all be gone, all suffering will be gone, and our hope and our faith will be replaced with sight and knowledge, and we'll see Jesus face to face, and we will know Him as He knows us. Let's pray. Father, we do not deserve any any of this. We do not deserve to be forgiven, and especially not to be glorified, to have a part in Your kingdom. But God, we thank You and praise You for Your grace and mercy on us by sending Your Son to pay the price for our sins that we didn't deserve, that we can never make, but Jesus Himself did. And God, I pray for comfort while we're waiting for these for these things, while we're waiting for our suffering to end, while we're waiting for our trials to be over. Just comfort us and help us even to groan in these times and to pray and to remind us who we are in You, Jesus. Now we're forgiven and we will one day be glorified. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit right now would work in us and not in us, but also in those who don't know you, and those who are still under condemnation, and those who are still subject to your wrath, God, and that they're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. Holy Spirit, please work in them, convict them, show them that there is a better way, that their sins have been forgiven, and there can be an end to suffering rather than this life being just the beginning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.